Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. This episode is with Mark Richardson. Brilliant episode. Powerful episode. Um, Mark Mark has always been uh, somebody that you know that I've looked looked at in the industry um, with, with his with his former bands. It's incredible to have him on. We could have timed it a bit better, mind. Um, we launched our beer on this episode. Um, yeah. We talked. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It was it, it was one of those. But he did find it funny. It was just great speaking to him, Shane. Yeah, I mean, um, Ronnie's referring to there as, as uh, Mark is kind of sober and has been for several years now. Um, I, he, he just went into it, man. It, it was one of the most honest interviews we've had on Crowcast. Um, it was a real privilege. I mean, the Crow family were just bowled over by how honest he was and sharing his thoughts, um, mental health, not addiction. Um and and that's what Crowcast is slowly becoming. Like you know, it's this family based, and and you're getting stuff out of these big names that you know they just they're just human beings like us. You know what I mean? And and um, just him being so open was just remarkable. Yes, definitely an episode where I think he's connected with all the viewers. This was episode forty six for anybody who wants to go and see it on YouTube. Um, but even listening to this now on the the Crowcast podcast. It's such a powerful message, and his story is phenomenal. Um, as I said, I've always kind of thought of Mark as one of my favourite drummers, favourite British drummers, um, but it was brilliant to hear his journey, and I didn't realise some of the struggles he had in that journey, mate. Yeah, and, you know, a guy who's been in some major bands, you know, not he's lucky to have, like, sort of one sort of band where the band does really well in this industry, for, but for him to have, like, two, three and but still carry those problems on um and just talking about how we, how we dealt with it how we didn't deal with it, it, it amazing story like i said so open and honest and um it's not just about music this one it's uh, it's incredible yeah and another person i think has become a great friend with the crows um we're looking forward to catching up with him um, when life gets back to normal should we get into it here we go strap in this is crowcast podcast <laughs> Please, man, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, Crow family, please welcome the amazing Mark Richardson. Hey, guys, you all right? How's it going, man? All right, thank you. Yeah, not thank too bad. Thank you so much for joining us, brother. It means oh, a lot. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on your new beer. <laughs> it's, it's such strange times, and it's so hard, as you know yourself, and we'll get into this with a lot of bands at the moment, to get... To get him 10% over the line at the moment is a challenge because 90% of the time you can't even be in the same place as your your band member, like, you know? Um, yeah. So we just, we've just been caning it, mate, as hard as we could, and it seems like now we can actually share the rewards with everyone. We can show everybody, you know, what we've been keeping secret, and there's more to follow, which is brill. But, yeah, sleepless nights, and, um, yeah, we just did what we could, didn't we, Shane? <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, man. We we just I think we were talking about this before you you come on, um, Mark. But adapting, finding new ways to sort of connect and and keep yourself out there and connecting with the fan base and stuff. So it's non it's been nonstop for us, crows. But um, how we how are you, mate? Where where are you right now? 
I am at home in Surrey, a little village near Guildford. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's uh, it's we bought we bought this place eighteen months ago as a derelict bungalow, <laughs> and um, we're sort of slowly um, slowly doing it up and um, yeah, just just getting there. We're getting there slowly. You know, it's yeah. a lovely project to have, and we. Would, it's good to be out the caravan, though. I would say that <laughs> we were living in the caravan for a little bit, but um, we're oh, in the really? you know we've got a couple of rooms done and stuff as you can see. So we're 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 getting there. We're getting there. But um, yeah, just uh, what am I doing? I'm I'm um, I'm doing a bit of um, teaching down at Bruce's place, uh, Water Bear University down in Brighton. Uh, not teaching, sorry, tutorials to start with, and and a bit of mentoring and stuff like that. Uh, gosh, um, I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I'm starting to be the odd job man for the, uh, for the local village as well. <laughs> I, just, I put in a, a quote the other day to refurb the local playgrounds because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I'm pretty handy, you know, I wouldn't be re- renovating a, a, a house if I wasn't, yeah. but, um, I was just thinking, you know, adapt and persevere, you know, yeah, we, haven't got the, man. we haven't got the band at the minute, like. I need to. I, I need to. I need to sort of investigate every avenue available to me, and if that means you know, getting in with the local parish council in order to want to do odd jobs for them, I'm going to do it. I don't know where the, where this is going to go. This pandemic, you know. So, yeah. it. I mean, it will end. It'll come to an end, you know, and and it'll it'll be we'll be back to normal. Um, uh, people keep saying a different kind of normal, don't they? But. We'll, we'll yes. get to some. We'll get back to some semblance of normality. Let's say that, and and yeah. when we do, you know, it, it'll be great. And I think what we need to be is just we need to be ready for that. And and you guys actually, you're a shining example of that. You know, you you've been really resilient. You're finding other ways to bring in income and all of that kind of stuff. And you know, it's a really good example to young bands out there. To you know, you've got to do that stuff. You've got to. Like you say, you've got to adapt, and, um, yeah. and 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 we'll get through it. Ah, thank you, bud. That's that's amazing for you to say. But like you just mentioned, there, water beer. So doing these tutorials is that is this the first time you've had that sort of um, tutoring and teaching sort of pupils? Is that is that new for you? Um, I used to do a bit of. Um, well, we can, we can take it back all the way back to when Bruce set up ACM because it's always Bruce that's got me in to do these things. Um, the obvious connection being Little Angels. And yeah. um, and then when Little Angels split up, uh, Bruce went into education, I, I went into um, Skunk. And um, Skunk and Nancy, that is, the band, not the other one. <laughs> uh, and, um, and so, you know, I was a it was just easy for him to give me a shout and go, can you come in and talk to the students and just tell them about yourself? So I've never been a teacher. I've never been a lecturer. I've never put courses together or anything like that. Like my wife does. Um, she's amazing at writing courses and teaching them and all that sort of stuff. But um, I go in and sort of by way of a, almost like a, a bit of a motivational sort of thing really, you know, and just say, look, if, if I can, if I can uh, come from a tiny little fishing village on the northeast coast, you know, and and do okay, then it's possible, you know. Um, so it, it's those sorts of things. But now I did my masters down at Water Bay University last year. I love saying that. I, I'm sorry, but it, I, I the novelty hasn't worn off yet. I love um, it. 
so so I got my masters down at Waterbury last year, and uh, <laughs> and 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 because of the situation, you know, another thing that I've said yes to is is you know they need help with the online um, cohort of all the students. Everything's online, so. Um, they need some help doing tutorials and a bit of mentoring and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'm doing that as well, you know. So, um, but I've always, I've always sort of been in and done sort of uh, workshops and you yeah. know and and showed people how I play and the, the big thing actually that I really sort of did my my kind of um, USP, if you like, was to go in and say, look, I'm not really a flashy player. Um, but I'm competent, competent enough to do the job that I'm asked to do. And, you know, that's half of the job. The other half of the job is, is being a nice guy, you know, and getting on with people. And and um, that's important when you're on tour 24-7, you know. So, um, yeah, uh, it's it's sort of... Because uh, they get a lot of people go into these colleges and and uh, and play really flashy stuff, and that has its place, and it's and it's amazing. And I wish I um, had practiced more, maybe in order, <laughs> and had a bit more of that stuff in in my uh, in my armory. But um, you know, it's not the be all and end all by any means. You know, I'd much rather play a groove than um, that that feels good. Uh, yeah. I have to be careful here because I, I get into trouble for for for. Um, talking down the, the clinicians and that. And I, 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 like I say, everything's got its place. Um, it's just I do a different kind of thing, and that's quite attractive to some schools uh, yeah. and unis because um, it's it just shows that you don't have to be, like, an amazing player yeah. to, to get somewhere. It's important yeah. to be other things as well, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what, a, what a tutor. I mean, anybody walking into that into water beer and having a one-to-one with yourself because not only are you a phenomenal drummer and you've Thank had you. life experience on the road with you know big bands you've been through hell through that journey there has been moments where you there's been ups and downs it isn't just ups and downs of a band ups and downs personality wise um uh, you know what the, the do's and don'ts you off the rails back on the rails like, no, but it is good. I mean, that is yeah. that, that life experience. It's not just about teaching um, music. That's teaching life and, and and trying to stay on that that road. That's quite difficult. Yeah, it, well, it has been um, a rocky path. You know, it's it's been it was uh, it was very difficult at first getting sober. And oh, by the way, you know, good day to to uh, launch your beer. You know, with your so your. <laughs> Probably your first sober guest. <laughs> there's, there's quite an irony in that. Okay? Oh, I, I love, don't worry, I love it. It's I'm on the water, I am. That's yeah. the truth. It's all fake, it is. It's all fake anyway. Uh, alcohol free, is it? So, yeah, it's, it, it, there's, there's a bit of a story there. Um, I'm not, I don't know whether you want to go into it or not, but, you know, it's... Um, I think... For me, the reason I don't know if you know, Music Support is is a charity that I was uh, that I'm a founder of and um, a trustee of. That was a direct result of the uh, of my own personal experience and finding it incredibly difficult to, um, you know, when finding myself dependent, de- <clears throat> excuse me, dependent on um, alcohol and cocaine, 
and needing to stop and wanting to stop i didn't i had no i did, had no idea where to turn for help so um that is music support is basically the culmination of 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 a journey a long long journey to help people avoid the same situation basically you know i when i finally got sober it took me 3 years to get sober um and uh when i when i finally did i sort of promised myself that at some point that i would try and make it easier for others to find at least find the information on what to do you know because you know put my manager and the band through hell for a minute there you know and and um they got to a point where they couldn't they couldn't enable the behavior anymore hmm. um and so they had to give me an ultimatum so that that was the uh that was the impetus really that sort of started my journey into recovery into sobriety and into recovery and that's been a a very long road um you know i'm in, in sort of my entering my 18th year of sobriety now and um it's it's not been wasted you know music support is out there it exists along with other charities now that are doing the mental health thing we we were kind of the first to kind of go first muse certainly the first music charity to kind of go look mental health is a massive has a massive part to play in all this you know and and um we need to start looking at it and then um, others like music, uh, Help Musicians UK started uh, looking into the benefits of um, of healthier living on the road and commissioned a report called Can Music Make You Sick in 2016? And, and that sort of highlighted a lot of the difficulties uh, that we face on the road as musicians. You know, like a lot of people, they can drink every night and then go home and it's not a problem. And that was, that was me for, for many, many years until something major happened in my personal life. And then I just didn't, I couldn't cope with the way that that made me feel. So, so my response to that was to numb it more. And eventually I became dependent on it. Like I just couldn't face the reality of that situation. So I just had to numb it out and eventually I became dependent on it. So that's, you know, that's, that's one way. <laughs> some, some, there's, there's a million, uh, an unlimited, uh, a limitless amount of ways to sort of let people get into trouble and an and unlimited amount of ways that people get out of trouble because everyone's different and everyone has their own story and their own childhoods, you know, and this and that and the other without getting too heavy you know, there are solutions out there. And, and even though you might feel like you're on your own in it, you're never alone. There's always somebody that will be willing to listen, you know, and, and that's what I needed. And that's what was missing. It was somebody just to sit and listen to my deepest, darkest fears, you know, and just to say, oh, okay, I hear you. You know, it almost doesn't need fixing. In my case, it didn't need fixing i just needed to say some stuff you know and, and that was keeping me pinned down in this addict uh, this addiction sort of thing so mm. um i mean it's a lot it's a lot goes a lot deeper than that you know, but um essentially that's the that's the story and um but all through little angels we all had a laugh we all had a few beers and we had a great time you know and the same through skunk and just towards the end of skunk and into feeder um it just got a bit hairy there for a minute, you know. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't very nice for for a little while there. 
Yeah. I, I didn't want to dig too deep, Mark, but did you, was it the fact of like maybe, like obviously I'm a drummer and um, I've done those tours like when I was growing up and stuff where we were drinking every night to the point it just wasn't enough, if anything. You were just starting to become, so then you start drinking before you play in. Um, yeah. And I think there was one show I did in particular where I felt I, I either came off the stool or I felt I was coming off the stool. <laughs> and, and, and genuinely, it was like, it was sold out. It was with a really good band. Um, it was one of my shameful moments. I, you know, at the yeah. time, it was funny and punk rock, and I was like, yeah. And then when I kind of looked back at myself, I was like, oh, what are you doing? You're trying to get a career. You're trying to... So yeah. I, like, I was very lucky. I almost kind of kicked my own ass. Um, and then I made the rule then of I didn't drink before I go on. And, and Shane will tell you that now. I, I've been more persuaded to have a shot before I go on now. But for me, I don't really need that. I don't need... I, I don't know. The gig is enough for me. I've, I've kind of gone down that avenue of the buzz. The drug has now become the the reaction off the crowd or the reaction off your bandmates. And to distinguish, absolutely, yeah. To distinguish for me, clean and sober. What is a good gig? You know what I mean. That that was a good gig, playing wise, and the vibe was there with your bandmates and the the energy from the crowd. Um, but yeah, without digging too deep with you, did you? Did you go more down the drinking while you were playing and, and through playing and then after playing and then? Um... Um, so I always promised myself that I'd never drink before a, before a show. And, and that, um, so my wife's just putting on a, a pop shield for me. <laughs> go on, go on, darling, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> off, it's all off camera, this. It's very, very slick. <laughs> <laughs> is it popping? Is it popping a bit? Okay. Okay. Um, so it was always. Are we good? There we go. Is that better, fellas? Sounds great. Yeah, yeah sounds great. Um, and and eventually I sort of broke that that, that boundary and um, you know I, I started getting <clears throat> sloppier and uh, and then the, the amount I drank afterwards was you know ridiculous and in order to drink more then I'd be on the on the coke and um I just got it just got ridiculous it just got out of hand um and you know my my job deserved more the fans deserved more and my and my bandmates deserved more my fa- everybody deserved more you know than than that and what I what I failed to see was and what I took for granted what I took for granted was how fortunate I was to be in a position that I was in, right? What, what we didn't have then was like, just right. Let's get him to a therapist. Now let's get him talking about whatever it is that's going on. Cause this isn't going the right way, which it, which is what I would, you know, if I was managing a band now and, and if our manager was, if Lee, our manager was managing a band now, she'd be like, right, let's get you to a therapist. You know, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, but it it was it's insidious addiction. It just creeps up on you. It mm. you know one minute you saw it's it's a laugh and you can go home and spend weeks without with you know maybe just going to the pub for a couple of beers and then you know and it was but then the the next thing you know it's sort of you you kind of like Shit, I really don't want to sober up because I really don't want to have to deal with what what I what I need to deal with and <laughs> you know um, and it's 
Uh, you almost don't even have that choice. You, that choice is taken away from you, really, with yeah. addiction. So it's it's really like um, it's kind of hit home to me there because you said obviously you were a drummer, great drummer, great success, and then it wasn't until something bad happened in your life then the drinks happened. So do you think, regardless of being a drummer and in a band and in that rock and roll life, do you think your life would have gone down that road anyway, or do you think it was a case of uh, like it was almost um you were reacting to it and that was your go to that was your escapism the drink and stuff to not think about it to numb you almost. Yeah. But would that have happened if you weren't in a rock band? I think it would have happened at some point in some way. I don't know how it would, but it was always, it was always sort of, I don't want to use the, the word destined, but it, it, it was something that was going to happen because it happened. So if I hadn't been in a band, it would have, it would have happened in, out in, you know, Civvy Street and whatever job I might have ended up in, you know, yeah. it would, it would have happened because it was, it was about not having it was about not having the tools to deal with the situation that I was going through in a healthy way yeah so the only thing i knew how to do and and i'm sure it's similar growing up in in wales so yorkshire you know is you go down the pub and you, and you just and you don't talk about it you just you just bury it and and that's it we don't do feelings we just drink yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so it's it's that sort of um it's that it was that sort of thing um i just didn't know how to how to cope with what was going on in my my head and my my heart so so to speak so so now i i, I just i'm a real advocate for especially men because don't forget men my age is the biggest suicide group mm. um uh, that there is in this country it's huge uh, i think it's for, 45 to 55 age group male males in this country is the biggest suicide rate and uh and and i'm i'm convinced i don't have scientific proof but i'm convinced that it's something to do with or it could be argued that it's related to um men not feeling comfortable about being vulnerable about how they feel yeah you know because it's it's man up get over it i'll stop being a wuss that's weak blah 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 you know and actually vulnerability is the most courageous thing that i've ever done and you speak to i mean i've never been in the armed forces and i'm not purporting to be uh, somebody that akin to walking into battle or anything like that but if you there's a, a, a really lovely um lady called brene brown who does um she she she, she studies um this this stuff you know and one of the biggest um reaction she had was from the armed forces when she interviewed the armed forces about vulnerability they said you know of course i'm vulnerable what do you think courage is you know it takes a lot of vulnerability to walk into into battle if you think about it yeah it makes a lot of sense so why um why don't why don't men why don't we talk about why is it seen as weakness why is it seen as a you know as a something that's weak when we're struggling um i mean i think i think it's probably changed quite a lot with your age group and certainly has with my son's age group you know he, he tells his mates he loves them he loves them and um and you can really sense that it's sincere you know that it's mm. not like just he's not just saying it lightly he's like he means it you know yeah um so I think it has changed a lot and I might might be having maybe one foot in the past quite a lot with this stuff. I think I don't I don't certainly don't know what it's like with maybe a generation 
below me, but um, I think it's probably still quite um, difficult thing to talk about amongst male peers, especially as we get older. What's it? What's it like? What have, is your experience of that stuff? Do you just kind of shove things under the carpet, or there was? I, I did a lot of sports and stuff growing up. So the, the, the banter thing, like we say that all the time. Yeah. The, banter, the, the banter was was tough. Like if you walk into that changing room and there was any show of weakness, you know, the, the boys would pick up on that. Um, yeah. You know, your big girl blows or obviously yeah. being, polite, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. being polite on you. But there was a lot worse being said. And, and especially if like football or rugby, if you went down too easy, come on, get up, man up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Injuries, walk it off. It was it was always that mentality. So you were never allowed to show that in vulnerability. That oh, I'm injured or I'm weak or yeah. So I that was very sort of early on. But what I've noticed with the band and and my brothers here and I can call that we say that all the time. And Lloyd yeah. is the youngest one, and Lloyd is forever going. I love you, man. I love you, brother. You know we yeah. just say it. We all say it, and it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so important that you've got each other's backs. That support. That um, it's especially on tour, especially yeah. when you when you you know if if I if it's one thing I say to any band that sort of say well, how do you avoid this? How do you, how would we avoid falling into the same trap? You know, and it's communicate. You have to be able to say to your bandmates, "I'm really fucking struggling." You know, mm-hmm. I'm really unhappy and I don't know what to do about it. And I just, I don't need anyone to fix me. I just need to say I'm yeah. fucking miserable. I know I'm fortunate. I know I'm in this amazing position, touring, doing festivals, whatever it is. But I'm just having a really hard day, you know. And 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 at that point, what you need is somebody to say, I hear you. That's it. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I'm with you. Not sympathy, empathy. I'm yeah. with you. I understand. You know, yeah. not I feel sorry for you. Oh, that's oh, the poor you. That's awful. Yeah, and that's not, just not, shit. But empathy. I'm with you. I'm sitting with you. I hear you. You know, we're in this together. Don't worry, we'll get through it. That's yeah. what. That's what you need to hear when you're having I a think, shit. I think there's this um, idea as well. Like, if someone says something, like you've got to solve it for them. Like the people think, oh, like but you're not looking for answers. You just say nothing. Hear me out. Um, because it's easier then when that person lays that shit on someone else. And I yeah. think the other person just goes, oh, I need to say something. Oh, I need to fix this. How can I make it better for them? You don't. You don't have to. No. Just be there for them. Um, and let them, let them go through, like I do always say, but processes. Life is a process. Good, bad, shit, um, everything. And coming around and adapting to it and working it out yourself is one of the hardest things to do. Um, but if you Exactly. Can't... I think I think you absolutely nailed it. You know, um, Listening and then fixing isn't listening. It's listening and fixing. Listening is really, really hard. To learn to become a good listener is one of the best things you can do for your mates because you listen and you say, fuck all when they finished. And, yeah. and, the, you know, and you say, I'm with you. That's all you need to say. Is there anything I can do is a much better way of saying, well, you should do this and you should do that. You know, because... That's not helping them. They just need to be heard a lot of the time. And if they need that, if if you want to let it be known that you're there for them, if they need help with anything, you can say that. But but fixing is fixing, and and it's it can be detrimental, really, 100%. to the situation. Yeah, that's, it's that's it's always it's always meant with good intentions. 
It doesn't come from a bad place. It's just not helpful. Does that yeah. make sense? It makes perfect sense. Perfect. And it's, it's like we've just, um, well, we just said now we got some new material coming out and it's it's on those verges. It's on, uh, we'll explain more about that later because this is all about you. Um, but Mark, I, I, I love, I love the, you know, the feeling that your music gives me is it's the reason I got into rock and roll. It's the reason I love music is bands like, is bands like those damn crows because it's, it's heavy, but it's emotive. You know, yeah. like just really heavy, heavy stuff doesn't really do it for me. You know, heavy emotive music because I'm a you know I'm a softie at heart, whatever. But um, I want music to make me feel something. Yeah. You yeah. know, and um, and that's I what you guys do. So well done for that. Uh, that's that's incredible. <laughs> that's that's amazing. But I mean, what the guys coming to see you and 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 learning from you and just having that vast sort of um, experience you got. That's mate. Your your support now. Your support in other people. That's yeah, musically yeah. That's incredible. Well, I think uh, it'd be an incredibly an incredible waste of uh, a good resource if I was just kind of. You know, sitting there going, well, I went, phew, thank God I got through that. You know, what's next kind of thing. And then, which obviously a lot of people do because they don't they don't want to keep revisiting it. But I just found myself um, talking about it to a lot because I'd be, I was open about it. A lot of people aren't open about it. That's the first thing. So the next thing is when you somebody notices that you, you live in a sober lifestyle, they, and a lot of the time I'll say, how the bloody hell did you do that? You know, and um, so I'll tell them. And then, you know, and, and then that just, I found myself talking about it quite often to different people. And then it just, so now it just becomes, it's just natural. And, it, you know, doing things like this and saying it in public just helps an awful lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, initially I went to AA and I did that and, and then I had therapy and I don't go to AA anymore. And I, I'll have the odd alcohol-free beer, and that's okay. And I just, I'm ha- I'm very comfortable with that, and it works for me, you know. Yeah. Um, my, I almost think there's this illusion as well, Mark, where people think if you're drinking too much or you're a drug drug addict, then you're a, a loser, you're a nobody. But some of the most switched-on intellectual people I know, and we, um, like in the, especially in the music game, yeah. Um, Mike Exeter is another one um, that we've spoken about on Crowcast and, and he's an incredible engineer, producer and worked with some of the biggest bands on the planet. He's gone through that road and has somehow, like yourself, come out the other end mm-hmm. and is now educating people about it. And they're, they're, they're some of the most switched on intellectual people I know. So yeah. it's not even like um, a class thing. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's no, so- it's, it's nothing to do. It's totally indiscriminate addiction. It doesn't care who you are or what you've got. Or you know, um, if if you haven't got the tools to numb, if you haven't got sorry, (laughs) (laughs) you haven't got the tools to to figure out a healthy way to get through any problem, any life problem that you come to, then what we do is we turn to booze because that's it's legal and it's allowed, and you know, and obviously. There's lots of other ways that people numb out as well, you know, sex, gambling, food. I mean, the list is almost as, you know, endless. There's a lot, a lot of ways uh, that we do it. But some of them 
are less harmful than others and other and some of them will take you to a low point quicker than a lot of others some some of them like maybe smoking i don't know if there are any smokers in the room but um it is i mean i gave up a long time ago because I, I what am i doing this for this is just gonna end in my death so it's a slow suicide you know it's um so uh you know i don't know it, it's it's difficult it's a difficult thing to talk about, but I, I see it as a as my duty if it comes up like it has done tonight to to discuss it and if uh, and I'm comfortable with that you know it's all right it's all good. I think I think everybody can resonate from this conversation because where we grew up there's so many cases so many people we know um, and it's exactly what you said just echoing what you said earlier Mark of I would say the first chapter of my life and Shane's life. It's ignored. It's kind of um, people don't want to kind of bring it up personally or you don't want to kind of bring it up in conversation. The second chapter of my life is almost everybody's a lot more open uh, yeah. if we're about the generation thing. And I think I genuinely am thankful for that, that I, I do feel I've got people to talk to. And this is what's important. You have to you have to talk. You have to tell people, like you said, if you're having a shit day, because um, I've known so many people who've gone, well, they have gone through addiction and they haven't come out the other end. Um, and as yeah. I said, there was nothing wrong with those people. Um, it was just their, their way of escapism or they didn't know how to ask for help or they didn't know, they just didn't know. Like, you know, it was so such a sad thing that I would even say about 15, 20 years ago, it was just not as, it wasn't talked as much as it is now. You know, it was almost... No, absolutely. You know, or they're mental, or there was always a a brand into it, especially yeah. where we came from. And I, I hope that done offended. Yeah. That's that's how it was where we came. It was like, oh, they got issues, or there was yeah. a vulnerability about it as well, like which 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 is horrible. Like you know, the if they would come out and be honest, it would almost um, liquidize the, them as a person. Like you know, um, absolutely. Whether... And that that's the that's the shame of of um, that's the the sort of perceived shame of addiction i think you know but you i mean if i just you know use the example of, of my music career for example every drummer that i've taken over from or replaced is now dead from alcohol or drug related illness and yeah. stuart cable you know let's add stuart yeah. in bless him you know yeah. yeah it's it's not like it's not like it's it's not common. I mean, this thing kills people every day, mm. and um, I think to learn to navigate it has been one of the. I don't know why I feel like I have a duty to 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 remain well and spread this message in honour of them, if if nothing else. But you know, um, also in honor of myself, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I, I deserve to, to remain sober and I, and I deserve, um, you know, a life beyond my wildest dreams, which is what I was looking for in the first place. You know, um, I didn't know I was already sat on it and in it, <laughs> but, um, but now, you know, I think, I do think part of me harping on about this shit all the time is because, you know, look look at John Lee, look at Michael Lee, look at Stuart Cable, you know, Robbie France. They're, they're all gone. And that's just for, in my life, 
duck, mm. you know, that are close that were, that I was close to. So you look at that on a national scale, and it's just, you know, and you add in all the suicides from the, the you know, just oh, it's just I don't want to maybe getting a bit a bit too uh, a bit too no, morose. No, I don't know. Not at all, buddy. And I, I can't stress enough, mate. Thank you so much for bringing it up. I can see all the comments there, buddy, about how it's resonating with so many people. That's why, like, we call them the Crow family. Our fans are more than uh, just fans. And, and the, the community that they are setting up, they, how they're talking to one another constantly now, um, whether it be about our music, but then it's off stuff as well. And, and they become friends, and, you know, outside of the band. And it's, it's incredible. And it's, it's that, that theory you're talking about, talking to someone, opening up. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for sharing all that. I mean, that's like you said, brave. But I think it's 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 incredibly powerful, but because when I, as a songwriter, when I when I write about songs, there's there's something like you talk talking about emotional and emotive and empathy. I I'd flick on all those switches, and I'm a big believer in every negativity you have. There's there's this little way that you can turn into a positive and. And you will just look back someday and go, holy shit, you know, look how far I've come. Um, mm. And what you've just said there about all those incredible, talented uh, musicians that just didn't have that person or that switch to just turn it for themselves or, or speak to someone or get the help they needed to turn it into something positive. And then you come on and tell your story and, and it, can, it becomes that positive which then spreads like wildfire through the crow family and i that, honestly, that <laughs> it is it is a positive thing you know and if and if you help one person you know there's always going to be skeptics out there there's always going to be people that are just you know oh god i didn't come on here to listen to this you know i wanted to <laughs> listen to my band and feel good you know but i think maybe they're the ones that that are struggling i don't know you know, um, but if if it helps one person, if it helps one member of your family, then yeah. then um, then it's worth it, isn't it? It's it is worth me. it. And it um, it's never. I've I've not in all my years of sobriety had a negative. Um, I've never been proven wrong that if you're in that position and you and you sort it out and you get sober, if you know if that's what you want to do, that it's never been worse. You know, sobriety is never <laughs> you know is it's never been worse than the best day when you were fucked up you yeah. know so like I, I i love to say that my 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 best day my worst day now is better than my best day when i was fucked up wow if that makes sense yeah. so it and it and it really is you know it's um look nobody nobody can tell you if somebody points a finger at you and says you're an alky or you're, you know, whatever, that the only person that can say that, that can label me as that is me, you know. Yeah. But if, if a friend comes up to you and says, you know what, maybe we should have a chat, what's going on, uh, you seem to be drinking too much, is everything all right, then that's a friend. That's somebody who cares and maybe you should listen to them, you know. Yeah, uh, um, I've just clicked on the comments thing and seen all these amazing comments. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's incredible! Wow, I can want to. I, I can normally pop them up like that. I um, I genuinely didn't want to stop our train because it was just like, um, honestly, there's just so much. There's Brilliant. even have enough hours in a week for me and Shane to literally lay it on you of like our childhood, and it's not like counselling. It's just more the 
we can really relate to this. It's like it's just everything. Our whole our our whole being in a shame, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think because we both come from, do you, do you come from small small towns? Yeah. 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 So Whit, Whitby and, and where are you from? Um, Bridge End. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> Great <laughs> memories from Bridge End. Yeah. So um so yeah. yeah so small towns where the the culture is drinking. You know yeah. the culture is also you know man up, get on with it, sort yourself out, don't be a wet blouse or whatever. Um, it's very difficult to change that. You know, and, and you can't change it over you can't change it overnight i mean i wouldn't go back to whitby now and you know and try and convince somebody to be vulnerable and get sober I, but i am there if somebody reaches if somebody asks me for help this is the way i work it i, I don't go out there and and find people that are struggling or find people that i think should be getting sober but if somebody reaches out to me and says how did you do that and can you can you just talk to me about what that looks like or what it then i'll yeah my responsibility then is to hold out the hand of friendship and say yes i can tell you what my struggles were and then what happens more often than not is they'll identify with the similarities and hopefully ignore the differences because everybody's massively different but the similarities that keep us um sort of chained down if you like of, yeah. uh, you know clues in the in the word it's they're very similar um yeah. so there's a lot of identification on that level yeah 100 percent. and the fact that obviously within this this time this situation covid and you know you can't do what you're supposed to do and people aren't seeing those loved ones because they can't um these things like I, I just saw someone there can listen to music anytime these live streams are gold dust it's yeah. because, you know, this is the time where we can talk. This is where you're just plugging into someone else's thought, consciousness, connecting. And we can't do that right now, like, um, personally, physically. Um, so, mate, honestly, I, I, I can't stress enough. Thank you so much for going there. Um, <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's not a problem. It's, absolutely um, incredible. Yeah. No, it's it's part of my journey. It's part of my life story. And I'm, I'm not proud of the things that I did when I was messed when I was messed up, but um, I'm pretty much proud of um, everything since. And you know, I never would have done a master's degree, for example, if I hadn't been sober. I never would have started music support clearly if I <laughs> if I hadn't got sober. So there's like all these amazing things that have happened in my life as a result of sobriety. Um, but you know, everyone's got their own journey. I, th I think that my, you know, if you want to take any, anything away from this is like, if somebody comes to you and they're struggling, um, just listen, yeah. you know, that's all I want is, is somebody to listen. You definitely, so. um, you definitely have me as a listener. Um, if you pursue the podcast, you definitely, oh, brilliant. <laughs> thank you. I, I really, really should. Yeah. Massive fan of podcasts. And, even if you just did one every now and again on this topic and your journey personally, you had other people and you talk to them the, the way you're talking with me and Shane, um, I'm completely captivated in it, Mark. So I hope you do pursue that because I guarantee for everybody who's listening to this live and then everybody who kind of catches up on it, you would have connected with people tonight. And that's, that's a hundred percent. That is, there's always somebody who needs to hear what you've just said. Like, you know, yeah, and and I hope um, it's not. It's certainly not meant 
in a preachy way. It's it really is just you know that if you're struggling, there's there's help. You know there's, it, there is. You don't have to suffer it alone. You're not alone in it. You know that's the important thing to to remember. Yeah, hundred percent. Mate, yeah. we will um, go on. on. I was just going to say, I mean, it's beautiful for me, and I'm not trying to change the, the, the layer of the show, but it's like growing up as a kid watching you as a drummer, it's lovely to hear the powerhouse mark, just being so honest. It's just like... Um, <laughs> that's, that's, another, that's another great point, though, bro, because, yeah. you know, Mark was this top-off beast of a guy behind the kit, yeah. looked a monster, right? <laughs> and it's like, but again, is Mark, was it... Uh, tell me if I'm wrong here. You're... you're acting that way on stage so was it again then hard to come out of that shell and go well i'm mark but actually i got these few issues but no i can't be that because i need to be this guy behind the drums absolutely i was completely identified by my job from the time i turned professional to to the end of of uh to but to the to the time i got sober and i didn't realize that until i got sober that i was just defined by what i did my job and um I didn't want to ever come down. The other thing was, you know, the, the, the euphoria of doing a show in front of, you know, your uh, adoring fans is really addictive too. And I never really wanted that to end because it meant, oh, God, you know. It, uh, I still, I go on stage and two hours goes past and I come off and I go, what the fuck happened there? I don't even, I don't even remember. I go into this, like, flow state, which is just so blissful it's like i don't know some kind of weird <laughs> heavy metal re- meditation or something I, <laughs> I don't know but it's just like i just get into this zone and it's it's awesome um yeah. but I, but i was definitely defined by what i did and and that was part of the problem you know i had no i didn't have a great sense of self uh self-worth and of, of who i was and what i liked uh, i knew i i liked what you liked and I liked what you ate and what you listened to. And do you know what I mean? It was, yes. it was sort of that. So I sort of felt a bit quite empty, but the band filled me up. So that was okay until it wasn't there anymore. And then, yeah. you know, which obviously happened with Little Angels and then happened with Skunk and Nancy splitting up. And uh, so, um, yeah, so it, it, it's a problem when you're defined by what you do. When it when it when it comes to an end, like it's because then you're left with one question, and that is, who the fuck am I without this? You know. Wow, that's so powerful. So it's really important to, you know, as as a band, and and why it's so much so much more difficult for a lot of solo artists, I think, is to have that community around you, just taking care of each other, you know, and just sort of checking in, um, you know, um, yeah. It's it's um it's it's difficult enough business as it is when you're on tour all the time, yeah. without feeling like you've got nobody to talk to as well. On top of it all, you know, yeah. And it's such a simple thing to remedy as well. Yeah. So, so did it? Did it? When it got really bad, did music then? Was that like um? How do I put it? Were you afraid then to go back into music, knowing that you could go down that road again? I was afraid that I'd never have a good time ever again. <laughs> I was afraid that I'd never enjoy a party ever again. I was afraid that um, people would look at me and go, oh, look, there's that sober guy. But actually, right, yeah. w- what happens over time is that you that does happen. 
Um, I mean, the, you know, people looking at him going, oh, I don't want to talk to him because he's that sober guy. But you just, you, you know, they don't, you, they don't matter. Those people don't matter. What's important, <laughs> heavy metal station. Um, what's, what's, in, um, what's important is your own person at that point is that you um, continue to grow and you continue on your path that you've chosen. And if you get into situations where, like I'll, I'll go to parties, I'll mm-hmm. go to parties. I went to part, you know, um, on the road. It's hard not to go to the to the after show or whatever. Yeah. But it's when I just I set a boundary for myself, and that boundary for me is when that person speaks too close, too loud, and spits in your face and and bursts your eardrum, you know. And they're saying the same thing for the third time. It's like, okay, I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> it's time for me to go to bed because <laughs> I'm because I don't enjoy it anymore. You know, yeah. there's a really brilliant bit where everyone's having their first couple of drinks <laughs> yeah, and, and getting lively. And, and that's awesome. And I love that bit. Yeah. But then when it goes too far, it's just, that's, I, I'm not judging. I'm just saying for me, that's my, that's, that's when I, when I go, go to bed, I'll go back to the bus and, and go to bed. Um, cause I just don't enjoy it very much after that. Yeah. But, um, to sort of complete the circle, it, there is, you know, if if you're in a position where you find you're needing to lead a sober life and uh, you're scared of that stuff, there's nothing to be scared of. You know, it, it there is life. My life has been better without booze than it has been with it. Yeah, and and I, I've nearly been sober for the same time amount that I, that I was you know, alive while I was drinking. Well, obviously not when I was a kid, but I've been sober a lot longer than I, than I was drinking now is what I'm trying to say. Um, um, yeah. So, and, and I don't, I don't, uh, a day doesn't go by where I'm not grateful for, for that, to be given the choice to stop, to be given the choice to make a different life, you know? So incredible, but I mean, what a story. And, um, incredible that you've come through the other end with all that sort of knowledge and, and power and you can pass on to other people which is priceless yeah i mean i think it's important also to say that if anything any of this chat has triggered anything for anybody you know you can get send an email to the to the lads and I'll, and i'll be happy to to answer any questions anybody's got you guys have got my email address so you can forward them on um i i it's part of the process you know it's part of i see it as part of the my not my job but i enjoy it and enjoy helping people so um that's phenomenal buddy that is absolutely phenomenal thank you so much um i mean maybe we'll come back to that but um let's talk about mark the musician so mark going back as a kid where where were you born mark where did where was i was born in leeds um right in 1970 so what what bands what music what was it was it drums straight away do you know if you can remember was it drums straight away you know, it, it, it was because we we moved to Scotland and I remember when I was three I got a tin a tin drum you know just a single like a tin yeah, yeah. from yeah. from my, as a present from my nan and um, I, I smashed that to bits fairly soon and uh, even even at three years old and then we moved to Whitby. Uh, we moved. Sorry, we moved to uh, Yeadon, which is a suburb of Leeds. And um, I had a friend at school called Neil, and he had a drum kit. And I used to go around and play on that. And then one day, coming up to Christmas, it disappeared. And uh, I was like, "Oh, that's a shame." 
and he didn't tell me that my dad had bought it for my Christmas present and you know he he got a new one and so I, and it was a Ludwig Junior as well I wish I'd still had it it's worth oh, a wow. fortune would <laughs> <laughs> yeah it it it'd have been a nice little thing to still have but anyway and and I used to um play you know those uh, tape players that were were sort of that shape and they had the buttons on the front there yes um, yes yeah, really showing my age now uh <laughs> i used to I, I got one of those and i just used to put on um, my mum and dad's music because i didn't really have uh i mean i, I soon got into shawadi wadi you know <laughs> and uh you know at six years old it's like yeah, yeah. The, and, and started playing along to them but other than that it was um yes folks i did just admit that um <laughs> <laughs> other than other than that, it was Mum and Dad's record collection. So it was um, it was ABBA and it was um, the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel. And I used to try my best to play along to these records, you know. Um, and that was the start of it all, really. But I knew I loved it, and it was the only thing that I would do every day because I was all over the shop. Yeah, I was all over the place, like a lot of us are when we're that age, you know. Um, just full of it, probably undiagnosed ADHD or something. I don't know, but you know, no attention span. Just, yeah. just like, you know tell him that? That's exactly what I tell him. Like, <laughs> and, and, and diagnosed as you put it, like, because you're just <laughs> every just all over the place, a right handful, you know. And um, it's always the one jumping off the swing and breaking my arm, and you know, all of that, just all of that, anyway. Um, <laughs> But drums was the only thing that I could really focus on and that I did every day. And through my work with the, the Clembert Drum Project or the Drumming Project, as it's becoming known, um, I'm starting to understand why that is because we know through that research that um, drums have an incredible effect on the body and the brain. And uh, uh, it's, it's an amazing instrument in terms of that that sort of stuff. Um, we did a, a test uh, with um, a school over in Gloucester, I think, an autistic school, and the results were amazing um, in terms of the difference between before. What we did was we gave a set, a, an amount of autistic students um, drum lessons. Uh, I think it was over 16 weeks, two a week, and, and at the start of the lessons they were not able to sort of look around and enjoy themselves or communicate in any way with each other and at the end they were looking around having fun laughing you know I was having I was definitely connecting with a couple of them whilst they were drumming and um and so from from those results from those you know scientifically sort of recorded and all of that kind of thing uh we're now or the, the project is now moving on to dementia to see what effect drumming can have on on dementia. So, you know, it's an amazing instrument. Um, and I think that's probably the reason that I came, kept coming back to it, because I, I just got a, a sense of relief. Even now, having we moved house, like I said, haven't got a studio set up here yet. So I've been using um, uh, a little a friend of mine, Ollie, he's got a studio down the road. And uh, they let me go and play because it's a separate annex to the house. So I don't need to, you know, I wave at them through the window and say thank you and go and have a little play. And 
I, I went and had a practice for the first time in months the other day, and I just felt so good when I came out, you know, because well, when you see the the, F, the fMRI scans of, of a, a drummer's brain, and yes, we do have them, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's lit up like a Christmas tree. It's the most amazing thing. You know, yeah. every part of the brain is, is almost is engaged, and um, it's really quite incredible. Uh, and so it's stands to reason that you've got physical activity engaging ev- all your limbs is, is going to, so you've got that physical activity, but then you've also got the sort of the, the activity in the brain that's kind of kicking off. And, um, you know, it's no wonder it makes you, makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that was it. I think that was the, the attraction and the pull towards playing, um, and the reason that I sort of kept coming back to it every day because I just loved it so much. Amazing. Um, so, were you were you taught then with drums? So, what age were you when you thought, right? I love this, but I want to be. I want to make this my career. Fourteen, um, and I and I know the the, the year um, because I did a school dance. I played at a school dance. Me and my mates we practiced. Um, we practiced "Run to You" by Brian Adams for about six months. <laughs> <laughs> yes. it, was, it was just our favourite song, and we couldn't be asked to learn anything else. So it was like, should we just run that again? You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the t- the teachers came past, and um, one of the teachers from the school band, a band that was made up for the by the, of the teachers called the Gels at Whitby School, and um, they said, "Oh, do you want to come and?" Thinking we had a full set, you know do you want to come and uh, support us at the school dance kind of thing? And we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the door would close and he was like, does he know we've only got one song? (laughs) (laughs) And um, so anyway, we did this, this one song and, and uh, and we, you know, finished the song and the crowd just went nuts, you know, and because it was a popular song at the time, it was a massive, you know, Run To You by Brian Adams in, in 1984 or five or whenever it was it came out. It was the same year it came out anyway. It might even be in 86, but um, I just remember this noise from the crowd, all these people in the audience that were that I was at school with that had never given me a second look, all of a sudden were looking at me and cheering and clapping and going mad. And I was like, yeah, I love, I love that. I'll take that. Yeah, yeah. I love. So from that point onwards, I was like, every decision I made, everything I did, pretty much was was towards a career in music, and and um, and uh, and that started uh, seven years later when I'm well, uh, actually four years later when I met Bruce and Jim and Toby down at Scarborough Theatre and around. Wow. Um, yeah. So. Um, that that was that was uh i forgot you asked me now but that was that was kind of the start of it really yeah oh yeah that was it that was that was the turning point um in me that kind of said like this is what i want to do for a living and, incredible yeah and then we moved to i went to scarborough tech scarborough technical college and uh and then i sort of was like who's the hottest band in town and it was this band called mr thrud and um who who turned into Little Angels. They were called Mr. Thrud before. Oh. And uh yeah. And so I went down, they had a residency at this theatre in town called the, the Theatre in the Round. And um they used to play there once a month, I think, or once a fortnight, and um and they just absolutely packed it out and 
And I was like, right, these are the guys. I need to get to know these guys because they're, they're the business. They're, there's no one else doing that this in this town. And there was rumors that they'd had, you know, um, management sniffing around. And then they did this thing with Channel 4, uh, like this 15 minutes of fame or whatever it was with Channel 4 that they used to do back then. And then they signed to Polydor and, and off they went kind of thing. So, um, and that, so that was my, my connection with Little Angels and, and that whole side of things. And not, then when Michael Lee left, so, well, okay, here's another connection with addiction. I, I have, um, it sounds um, wrong to say it like this, but the drummer from um, Guns N' Roses, Stephen Adler, had a terrible uh, heroin problem and they, he got fired. And Matt Sorum jumped in, the Guns N' Roses seat. So, so for, and Matt, Matt was playing with the Cult at the time. So the Cult needed a drummer. So Mickey Lee joined the Cult from Little Angels. And then the Little Angels were like, shit, we need a drummer. Who can we get at short notice? They called me and I jumped into the Little Angels seat. And, and not shortly after that, they gave me the gig. So that, that was like another sort of, you know, that, that's, um, and that's how I, I, I got the job because they wanted someone from Scarborough, someone they knew, someone they knew they could get on with, somebody that they knew that could sort of do the job and and be a, a bit of a laugh on tour. You know, they needed to know that they got on with them. Uh, so yeah, so I ended up ended up. Um, but the, my first gig with them, we did a little warm up at the Green Man in on um, in, in London there, or just off. Uh, Marlebone Road, and then my next gig was Manchester Main Road Football Stadium supporting Brian Adams, <laughs> the very the very man who I'd played the song of as a fourteen year old, going, "Yes, this is what I want to do." This <laughs> Did you see the Brian? Did. Brian, I know this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had Lord Cheney go to Brian, run it again, run it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh... My, my dad, we played Cardiff Farms Park, you know, and, and my dad said uh, to me, he said, because I was a rugby player, played for Yorkshire very briefly as a youngster. And um, he said, you know, I always knew you'd play Cardiff Farms Park, but I didn't think it'd be behind a drum kit. Um, wow. So, uh, yeah, so that's a, so a nice what was that like? What, I mean, how, talk us through that, bud, the, the, where you went from there to there, like instantly almost. Yeah, man. Um... I was almost. It's one, it's one thing like playing in a band, you know, and doing those smaller shows, but the, yeah, I think I, I was so ready. I so I was so ready to um, to move up in my career though. It, it didn't feel. I mean, I was obviously nervous, and it was like the it yeah. was the most amazing thing that had ever happened to me. You know, after all, I was I was kind of realizing my my lifelong dream. You know, I was 21, and that's all I'd thought about since I was six years old, pretty much, right, was like right. playing the drums. And then from 14, how can I play the drums and make it my living kind of thing? Yeah. Um, excuse me. So um, so you I were was, ready? I, I was ready. Like, I was yeah. in the band that I was in. I was doing a lot of stuff. You know, I was, I was driving. Like, like I said before, I was, I was driving, doing the posters, you know, calling the venues, booking the gigs, you know, this, that, and the other. I mean, that's not strictly fair on the other members of the band. It wasn't, I didn't do everything, but I did a lot. And I just felt, um, I felt bad when, when I left them because we just got uh, some interest from A&M Records at the, at the time to do some demos at a little place right. in Harrogate called Blue Strike Studios. Um with a guy called Frank Meisen, who's sadly no longer with us, but 
um, we did like 15 songs in a day and, and, you know, sent these rough demos off to A&M. And, and then the band asked the Little Angels, I got the call from Toby saying, you know, will you come down and help us out, which led to the gig. And I, and I, um, I just, I, I was, there was no way, it wasn't even, even a question that I was going to turn it down. It was like, yeah, this is what I've always, there, there was, there was a little bit of, sadness at leaving having to leave my own thing mm. and i don't think i ever really recovered in the sense of the the sense of um input and control that you have in a band that you've grown up with yeah when you when you join something that's established you're very much you know which i have all the bands that i've joined i've, I've joined after they've been established and after they're successful. So there's always a sense of like, you're just sort of one step back from in the hierarchy, you know? Um, and that's not anything that it's certainly in Skunk and Nancy that that's never been something that's actually true. In fact, in none of the bands, it was actually true. It was in my, it was all yes. stuff yeah. that I made up because of my own self-worth issues, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, but but it's it's difficult to feel a you know um, a full part of something that's already established that you walk into you know I obviously yeah. do do now it's gone you know twenty five or whatever it is six years later but um, you know it's taken a while. <laughs> wow. When Bruce was on, um, Toby said the same when he came on you. Um, there was obviously the the period where you're like, yes, this is it, and you can see the. The, the band is taking off and it's going in the right thing. And, and as Bruce put it, then Nirvana, Nirvana, not never mind. <laughs> Nirvana fucking ruined it for all of us. No. <laughs> well, which, which for us, we're sitting there kind of going, oh, is it? Um, <laughs> for the last 20 years, we've been telling people how Nirvana inspired us because yeah. obviously we... We we missed the eighties period. Obviously, I grew up with eighties records through family, like you would have said, and same with Shane. Um, yeah. But for us, we were that fourteen year old that you were, and the records around at that period were more like your Nirvana starting to explode, and that's that's what kind of your Metallica is. That's that's what we're grabbing our, yeah, yeah. As, you know, as young rockers. So it's yeah. just funny that, like, yeah, Bruce basically said it as you. They came along and fucking ruined everything. <laughs> Well, you know, I think it needed a good shake-up, you know, didn't it? And what, a, what, a, what an amazing band and what an amazing songwriter he was, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Dave Grohl is still one of my... Fa- I'd, I'd much prefer it if he was sat behind a drum kit, you know. I know he writes great songs and he's a brilliant frontman. He's really personal, everyone loves him, and he's really funny. But I'd still, I'd love to see him play more, you know. I love the way... I love his musicality on the drum kit and the way the way he plays and how he forms his uh, his his patterns and um, he did an amazing record with Nine Inch Nails, a White Teeth, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Oh, just the grooves on that record! Um, yeah. I mean, everything he does, I just, I, I love it. I just wish he'd do more. Yeah, he did. A, he did a track as well. Um, I was showing Shane with um, with Josh um, Josh and Trez Rent uh, uh, called Mantra. Right. Um, I don't know if you've heard that song, but I'll no, say neither did Shane. And I, I, I sent a link. Um, he doesn't do anything like spectacular, like what we were we were on a, about at the beginning of the show. Um, it's not Instagram drumming. It's more 
everything's in the pocket and everything lifts and everything rises and you can feel you can feel the drums coming alive and you can feel a song coming alive just because he's almost re oh man i'll send you the link for that mantra yeah, yeah. i get what you're saying there it's just like his accents and his personality are are, are the drum kit they are yeah. that thing, like you know so yeah. so it's, it's, it's as important as having loads of chops to me yes as, in, yeah. as important Yes. No more important, no less important, but as important. That makes sense. So is, is he your favourite drummer or was there someone else? Who... Well, I grew up with sort of listening to my sister's record. After my mum and dad's records, it was my sister's records. I was like, you know, this ABBA stuff's a bit, you know, rubbish. I'm older now. I want something, you know, and and um, she was playing this record uh, one day and it was um, Led Zeppelin 4 so I, I was like okay so maybe I'll <laughs> there you go so that was my first um, you know it's when my love affair with John Bonham started and and um, and, and it was it was Brian Downey from Thin Lizzy Stuart, Stuart Copeland from Police um, uh, so this is obviously a lot earlier. John Bonham, obviously, I wasn't a massive Keith Moon fan, but I could appreciate what he was doing. And um, uh, um, who else? Uh, God, there's loads. You can never th- remember him off the on the fly, can you? But yeah. it was that sort of it was that sort of era, you know. And then the, the showmanship of sort of Tommy Lee came into play a bit later, and you know all that, all that, all those kind of guys, and. Um, um, Nicky Curry actually from Brian Adams' band was a massive influence on me because it was all about he sat me down on the steps behind the stage at Cardiff Arms Park and he went the most important thing is playing for the song yes and if anyone ever tells you any different they're full of shit the yes. song is the most important thing you'll 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 keep your gig if you keep that in mind or you'll you'll keep you know you'll be able to work in music if you if you keep that in mind, you know, um, I love he that. said, he said to me, nobody ever got, a, uh, nobody ever, what was it? Nobody ever got a job from playing a paradiddle at a million miles an hour, <laughs> <laughs> but they, but they, but they keep, but you know, the guys who play four, four in a pocket will, will never be out of work. Yeah. And he's absolutely spot on, of course, you know, yeah. Right, so. and that ability to be able to put a flavor to something but yet again not not ruin what's 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 being created around it like you know having that year we we talk about it all the time don't we shane about like it's having that year and listening to what everybody else is doing and how can i complement that no how can i be seen here or how can i be heard it's all about like what oh, how, how can that how can that part be better um yeah that you laying back as you would say mark or you put in something else there that drives somebody else forward um yeah you try to do that a lot it's almost challenging that that part like you know um yeah and, and everything have needed a reason to be there you know like i think that i think my my um most obvious experience of that was was the black traffic record when we we recorded everything and then we we basically kind of um, went. We need to do this a different way, and we and we sort of started again. And and um, but I, I recorded just the drums on their own, and then and then the cymbals after, and then we'd chop it up, and then we put samples on, and all that. And and that was my sort of first experience of really kind of placing 
things. It's like, let's have a symbol there and a fill there and let's move that fill from, from there to there because you could, you know, Mm. um, and that was, that was an amazing experience, but just, you know, just from what you're saying, just everything, having it a reason to be there and, and, um, not just sort of playing for playing's sake, you know, I, I don't want to get too geeky for everybody, but I gotta, I gotta ask a question for myself, for you. How did that feel? I haven't done that process yet, and I've been, I've been playing, you know, a few years, but I, I, I haven't done that process of recording the drums and then the cymbal separate. I've heard about the technique, um, yeah. and it has been talked about a couple of times where it's like, oh, maybe we'll do that, and I'm thinking, oh no, I haven't done that. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that new, oh shit, and you know, time is money. <laughs> I can't get it. They're going to be like, oh. oh. Um, how, how was that? Was that weird, or did you just kind of mime? Obviously, mime the the cymbal hits and yeah. I just put I just put rolling pads on on the cymbals, and then uh, and then just um, took put put a, um, a rolling snare, you know, the mesh snare on where the snares were when I did the cymbals, and just put uh, put towels on all the toms and didn't do the fills. It is a bit weird. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. um, and and I'd, uh, I'd not really been aware of it before, but it started in the eighties. You know, I mean, it's it's a it was an old um, technique when I got round to trying it, or when we when we tried it at Skunk. And um, and what it uh, if you're a loud player, then it enables the engineer obviously to turn the top kit and the the cymbals and hi hats and all of that up and down separately of the drums, which means they can. Um, right. We are we are getting geeky, aren't we? Which means you can compress the, the nads out of one or the other independently. Because if you don't separate them and you compress it, um, it, it's well, it's a particular thing, but it's not much use <laughs> on a record. Um, so that was it. Because I've always been a heavy player and played too too much cymbal and and not maybe been subtle enough at times. Um, it, it drove the band a bit nuts. Um, so we just tried this this new technique, and it was it was great, you know. Plus, it allowed you to sort of it really lends itself to doing overdubs and all that kind of thing. Um, so you can create these really nice patterns that that I then couldn't play later. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> yeah. brilliant. How do I do that? Yeah, yeah. How did I do that again? Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I overdubbed it. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> No, I'll have to ask that. That's a that's a geeky, selfish question for me because I've seen um I've been watching a lot of YouTubers you do in um in lockdown and I've seen a lot of stuff where Taylor Hawkins, Dave Grohl have been doing it uh, in past recordings and then I was thinking, oh my god, I can imagine that coming up at one point and how would you get over it? Do you know what I mean? So that's that's great. Exactly what you said. Then swap. I understand swap. Um, manipulate the electronic drums with the. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's worth it's worth trying once in your career, you know, if you don't like it, you don't like it, but, uh, you, you know, you never know. It, it might no, be something else. They're raising the symbols for me at the moment, Mark. That seems to be the new one. It's how high can we make the symbols so they're not close to the... So you can reach them. <laughs> yeah, you know, for anyone watching this, like, obviously, Mark, I know you're quite a tall guy in, in real life. Um, I, I'm average height. Um <laughs> But the higher the symbols go, I'm even starting to raise off the stool to hit them now. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, Shane, Shane, will you, will you get that symbol for me? <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this technique may may give you a, a, a solution. You know, it may, may be of some use in that case. It's worth, worth giving it a go, for sure. 
So obviously with the Little Angels, how did Skunk and Nancy come about? I mean, I know people might have heard it before, but you know, we yeah. the I know Little Angels, everything that happened there with Nirvana, and and obviously the way the music industry changed. Yeah. Um, well, I, very quickly, um, Bruce and Jim and I, when Little Angels split up, um, we formed a band called Blow, and uh, we it was a bluesy kind of DIY um, when DIY really wasn't a thing um, band. Um, we had management that helped us with releases and stuff like that. And we released a live record called uh, Shrooming at Moles, um, which is self-explanatory and, uh, and kind of sets the tone really for the rest of the band. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need I say more, you know, okay, I mean, yeah. that was kind of, uh, but, but actually there's a nice little link in. It's really strange how these things link in all the time. When Blow did our first national tour, where we were so broke, we were sleeping in tents in graveyards and asking fans if we could sleep in their gardens and stuff. Yeah, I knew uh, that. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, wow. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so on that tour, Feeder, who had just started, supported us on that tour. And that's when I first met John wow. and Tucker and Grant. Wow. And Dean. Actually, the the other guitar player. So, um, so, so how's that for like some weird synchronicity? I mean, it's just bonkers, isn't it? And then, um, I I whilst I was in Blow, I was living in Nottingham at the time. I think it's all a bit hazy, <laughs> but uh, um, I went to see Skunk and Nancy play at Rock City, um, which is one of my still one of my favourite venues in the UK, and. Um, and I'd seen, I said to Steve, I want to get there early, my mate Steve. I want to get there early because there's Skunk and Nancy are supporting them. And he went, what? Skunk, what? Skunky what? And, and I said, this band, I saw them in the kebab shop in Andover the other day. We were on the telly. It's a song called uh, Selling Jesus. And it was just bonkers. But I absolutely loved it. You've got to see this front woman. She's amazing. Oh. And so, sure enough, we get there just as they come on stage. And... Um, I'm absolutely just blown into the back wall, you know, with this band. Um, but walking home after the gig, and and um, I said to Steve, "That's that is that is the band I want to. That is the sort of stuff I want to play. I don't really want to play bluesy rock. I, that I want to play that, you know, whatever it is. I love it, and I, <laughs> you know, it's the indie rock music or whatever, fronted by this." maniacal you know crazy front person out of that as which is how i perceived her at the time uh, from that show um with just this great band of musicians and um and what's really weirdly blow then played at the coco and ace was stood next to me watching me play and i had no idea oh on the, the, that's the other thing on the way home i said to steve but the drummer's like he needed to be giving it a bit more you know it wasn't robbie france robbie had left and they had this temporary guy in called louis who was playing for nena cherry he's a session guy lovely fellow great player and um and i said oh well you know anyway i'll look forward to seeing them again sort of thing and never didn't think anything more about it then the next thing i see ace next to me when we're playing at coco and the week, and the next day is the Kerrang Awards, and we blow get nominated for best new British band, 
and so does Skunk and Nancy. And um, Skunk and Nancy won it hands down, of course. And um, I bumped into Skin half half cut after a few bevies, and um, I said, "Oh, your gig was amazing the other day." And um, but your drummer's a bit shit, and I sort of thought it. <laughs> I thought it. I thought it and thought, I, I mustn't say it like that. I must find another way to say it, but it, it, all, it was already out of my mouth. <laughs> and, and she sort of uh, and sort of looked at me and uh, I went, oh, well, that's lovely of you to say so. Um, but we're actually, in, it, you know, Louis, a temporary drummer, um, give us your details and I'll get our manager to give you a call. And then... Um, so that was it. I sort of went away thinking, yeah, whatever, you know, that's that's never going to happen. And it did. And I, I got called for an audition. I spoke to Bruce about it, and he was absolutely lovely. You know, he sort of said, you, you'd be mad not to go for it. You'd be mad. I mean, they're just they're such a great band, and it's it's right up your street. And he was beautiful, you know, such such so lovely yeah. about it. And um, so I went for the audition, um, and we got on really well. I played, I played okay until the very end when Cass played this really complicated bass rhythm that didn't start on the one. And of course, at that point, I was completely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but you know, we, we had a good laugh about it. And then a few days later, um, sorry if this is going on too long. No, mate, this is brilliant. Um, brilliant, Mark. A few days later, um, um, I'm, I'm back at where I was staying and I get this phone call and it was sort of 11 o'clock at night. And, um, it was, it was my manager. It was, sorry, <laughs> it was Skunk's manager, Lee. Um, he's still my manager, but she called me and said, look, the band are in studios in Islington. They're doing a soundtrack. They're doing a, a piece of music to a piece of film. It was the strange days soundtrack, which is, I don't know if you've seen it. It's kind of a turn of the century sort of like, yeah, um, a Catherine Bigelow directed movie, and um, there was a scene in it towards the end where, or it's it's counting down to New Year, the end the end of the century, and uh, chasing through the crowd, and they had to do this piece of music to it, and um, they said, "Can you come and and try and do the drums on it because um, they're sort of struggling?" And I was like, "You know, well, I, I can't remember. I can't ever remember thinking." you must be fucking joking. Do you know what time it is? <laughs> like I was like in the car and on my way to the studio within minutes, you know, and I was probably setting up, you know, cause I had to get my stuff in the car and, um, cause their drummer had taken all, all this stuff back and, and set all the stuff up. So now it's like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning by the time we get set up and get a sound and get going. And, and they're looking at their watches cause they've got to leave cause they've got Glastonbury the next day. Their first, show at Glastonbury um uh and um so they're like kind of getting a bit twitchy because time's ticking on and anyway I played this this piece to camera for that scene and um they were like that's it the next day I got a call saying they they like you as a person they like your playing you can play in the studio um all seems to be really great you know they, why don't you join the band they're just gonna do Glastonbury, and then once that's done, we'll meet up, and and that was it. I was I was in, and uh, <laughs> I couldn't believe it from like a few weeks earlier, just saying, "Oh, 
what a band, what an amazing band. I'd love to be in something like that, you know, and then ending up in the drum stool. It's, it's, you really have to pinch myself. I really have to pinch myself a lot because, you know, and you think that's two, two major opportunities now that I've had that, um, in, in two really well established, successful British rock bands. Um, and don't forget after the little angels, I thought, well, that, that was lovely while it lasted, you know, it was really nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm sad, but I'm really glad it happened kind of thing. Not thinking that it had happened again. And, yeah. um, and there I was on my way to Leeds festival, still listening, still learning the music and the headphones on going, shit, I don't, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've learned this. I don't know if I, I know it well enough. And Cass just pulled my earphones out and he went, Mark, if you don't know it by now, you never will forget it, you know? And, uh, and it was just my first gig with him just went so well, you know, it just totally put me at ease. And, and, um, of course he knew that I knew it. It was just, I was, you know, again, my own insecurities, like, ah. yeah, psychological. Yeah. Yeah. So psychological. Was it was, um, Leeds festival, Leeds Heineken festival. Right. In, in the tent. So, so this is, um, uh, I, you would have been too young probably to remember the sort of hype around it and all of that, I think. But um, there was a just an amazing buzz about the band when they were releasing their first singles and, and Skin was coming out. Because, you know, the, the world's never really seen anything like Skin before. Exactly, exactly. You know, and and like everyone now is talking about, you know, mental health and gender and you know they're out and they're openly gay and they're talking politically and all of this kind of thing skin was doing that yeah in 1993 and 1994 you know way before it was sort of seen as acceptable to do that and she was fighting for those rights back then yeah you know so um she is you know quite an incredible it's an incredible band actually it's quite an amazing sort of band to she's an amazing woman and and it's an amazing band with an amazing manager who stuck with us the whole way through as well um and you know you talk about um resilience and and, and adapting you know our manager is is so like well well i'm like building grinding metal from containers to try and get my studio going you know she's trying to figure out how the fuck we're going to survive, you know, and, and it's, um, it's a really, really difficult time for everybody, admittedly, but, you know, in, in the context of Skunk and Nancy, it's, it's quite tricky. We're very fortunate. We are very fortunate that we're looked after by an amazing manager because she thinks so far ahead. Mm. And so, and so we're okay, you know, we're sort of, we're paying the bills, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing band to still be, still be going and still be working and still be sort of relevant and, and vital in, in a lot of ways. You know, I think, I think, I think the world still needs, um, certainly still needs the band's music. We've got a lot more to say and, and, um, you know, skin definitely, um, has a lot to say and it's important. So a lot of the stuff she says is really important. So, yeah. um, it's like the, the bands you've been in, bud. They're, they're, yeah. they're all different, 
but like when when I think yeah. of Nancy, I think of this force. I think of like this. Um, I just say this to Ronnie. There's so many bands out there that I can look at and go, "Oh yeah, we do that. Oh, I can do that." Blah blah. Skin like skin. When when I first saw her, I saw this like. Oh, without saying anything, there was this mouth, like, and, and it just, this powerhouse, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it was just like, boom, I don't care what you think of me. I don't, there, there was this force of nature. Yeah. And yeah. so when you were playing, when you're behind that kit with a band as forceful as that, mm. that's going to be another level again, is it, of adrenaline, another sort of um, experience? And, and what was the biggest crowd you played to? Are the, I'd, I'd imagine that the crowd of Skank and Nancy gig is completely different to the other bands you've played with. And oh, yeah, so sure. it raises everything, I guess, does it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I had to, I mean, I would, again, I, you know, I was, I was hired because I could do, the, I was hired for the person that I was and the job that I could do. I, they didn't want a replacement for a Robbie. Robbie was an incredible drummer. He was a jazz drummer turned rock player. Yeah. Um, you know, just an insane player. Um, but I definitely had to up my game in Skunk. And we, we just have this role, like uh, so when we write new songs and we go into the studio, it's like that, that's one level. And then as long as, we bet, as long as we're better than the record when we go on tour, we don't, we don't need to just like regurgitate the record, but as long as we're better, we improve as musicians with each record that we do, then that's, that's, that's our sort of level of art. Uh, our sort of gauge of how we gauge ourselves as musicians, as long yeah. as we're improving a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, then then that's how we know we're sort of doing um, the right thing by ourselves and the band. But I definitely had to up my game from, you know, that that kind of just that four four mm. sort of British bluesy rock thing that I was that I'd been doing before. Um, but in some ways, again, I've just been waiting for the opportunity to go fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah. Which Skunk, uh, Skunk and Nancy allowed me to do. Like, I'd never played so hard. I'd never, you know, I mean, I was I was dealing with a lot of anger, I think. <laughs> I would just say, it was great therapy. And, and, well, as you know from us, I've already spoken about the drumming project stuff. We know it's good therapy, so we, we, I, I am. I was getting rid of a lot of anger and frustrations and all of that sort of stuff that I couldn't express verbally. Yeah, um, it was it was it was therapy for me as well. Excuse me. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, it was just an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable thing uh, to be involved with, an unbelievable band to be involved with, and and such amazing characters you know um all of them lee skin ace and and cats you know uh, just so very different if you if you had the choice right of putting five different and I, I include the manager in in the band as well because she's such an integral part but if, if you could choose to put anybody together in a band you'd just never choose it would you you just never You'd never think to put the four of us together. So, and and it and it we're so different that it just it shouldn't work, but it does. Oh so. God damn right it does. Well, we discovered <laughs> we would have discovered you around I don't know maybe ninety six or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure, but I know definitely I was super young. As Shane yeah. said, um, when I first seen Skin, it was kind of like I don't know whether you were on like. 
Top of the Pops or whether you were... Muse used to play this like late show on ITV. I'm not sure if you did that as well, but I definitely seen her on TV and I was half scared because it was just, it was that element of punk rock that scared me. I can't, I, that's a yeah. weird thing to say that, but there were certain parts of the music, like punk rock music, where you almost knew it was nasty, like, you know, and it was like, and that that drew me in more then, and that become like a soundtrack to where we live. I mean, you'd always hear Skunk and Nancy on. It's one of those bands that's followed many Welshmen, women, um, massive fan base in Wales, like 150,000%. Yeah. Uh, the long, like, Three Colours Red and other bands, um, which we followed massively, like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and then, obviously, we did follow Feeder. I am segueing slightly, but we did follow <laughs> And knowing, like, I had seen Feeder as a youngster with John. Yeah. But then when you heard the news, you were joining from a drummer's point of view. And I know there might have been criticism and there would have been fans in place. But for me, I was so excited because... You know, I was too young to really understand, like, the politics that goes on in the music industry. I just wanted to make it in a band, and I didn't really get much else. But yeah. I was excited because this, you know, the, the animated drummer, like you said, that excitement that the got you into Skunk and Nancy was moving with Feeder, which was another band that I'd followed and thought, wow, this is going to be, this is going to be interesting. And yeah. I think I seen you along with, I was talking about it earlier, with our guitarist or some one of my good friends, in like Reading and you played like the Radio 1 tent or something. Um, and it was just such a good show. Really, really good show. I don't know how that felt on the drums. I, I, know- I, I remember that gig so clearly. Um, all my first gigs, really, I remember so clearly. And, and that, uh, we were headlining the Radio 1 tent and that, that yeah. Reading Festival. And I was really nervous because I'd heard... Or, uh, it was the sort of start of things, you know, appearing online and all that, you know, 2002, summer of 2002. And it was kind of not the start of the social networks yet, but you sort of heard things, you know, online murmurings and all of this. And I'd sort of got the, the, the word that the fans weren't happy and all of this and, you know, bring back John and, uh, you know, obviously impossible, but, but, you know, it, or John was, you know, it won't be as good without John, rather, you know, all that, all that sort of stuff. And um, it couldn't have been further from the truth because that tent went off. And, you know, it's um, testament to the band and their songs that they that they could fill that slot. And uh, it was just a, it was an amazing gig. You know, it's such a great thing when you see a massive tent like that going off, you know, and everyone, like, drinks going up in the air for just a day and all of that sort of stuff. And Yeah. So it was fat. So did you say you were in the audience, Ronnie? I was in the audience for that gig. Oh, amazing. Because for me, it was a great moment because, like I said, um, I was a fan of your work, um, especially with Skunk and Nancy. So I just knew it would work for me, like, you know, I was kind of like, this is going to be special. And... It was great to be there to watch that that moment, um, and I don't know if anybody watching this was was there, but it was such a great moment because it just seemed like a a brilliant moment for Feeder as well, like you know, and that's that's why it was it was a cool spot to ask you. Did you feel that? Did you feel that in the tent? It was just like now I understand it from a yeah. band 
point of when they say that's an electric gig, that was an electric gig to be at, even though it was in a festival. And we all know performances can get kind of lost to festivals because there's everybody having moments all over the park, like, you know. Um, yeah. That, to me, was like a real, that was a real moment. And it wasn't because I was younger and it was like, I'm in a field with a band. It was... <laughs> You know, up to that point, I'd followed bands. I'd gone to your, you know, your TJs, or I'd gone up to to Wembley to watch bands and stuff like that. Um, and that that was a really nice moment to see a great drummer that I I know John was, but then obviously for you to go in and fill those shoes, um, but to just put your own thing to it as well, like you know. And um, yeah, I had to, I had to really because it, you know, John was so loved and he was such a great player, um, but. There's, there's, you can't, um, and I would always go into anything that's, that's maybe in the future that knowing that I have to be myself and put my own stamp on it. Um, you know, whether there is, whether there's any, anything else in the pipeline or not, um, I'm glad that that's what I did. I'm glad I didn't try and, uh, fill, you know, yeah. fill shoes. I just, I, I, it was a difficult situation because of the, you know, because of the circumstances of, of John's death. It was incredibly sad, um, but I just, I just knew I wanted to do a, a good job, and, and I knew that I wanted to do the songs justice and John justice. And the, the best way to do that was to play it with, in my own way, uh, uh, but with the enthusiasm of, you know, of somebody that's sort of doing it for the first time, you know. So. Um, it was great. I was incredibly sad about the demise of Skunk because I felt so responsible for it. Because it was all—it wasn't—it wasn't just—it wasn't, just, um, wasn't just my sort of addiction stuff that led to it. Um, but it was, you know, it was just a bit, a bit rubbish. And then, so a year for a year to pass and try and get other things going, and nothing was happening. And and then to get that call, like you know. I think John passed on the 7th of January and, and, um, and Grant called me sort of shortly after, obviously in bits, you know, just saying, look, we, we want to carry on. It's the only way we can honor him or the best way to honor him. Um, but we just want to know that we've, we've got a drummer in the, you know, in line to sort of do it. And you're, you're our first choice kind of thing. So I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Nobody wants to join under those circumstances, anything. But, um, mm. of course, I was totally uh, up for it. I was I was a drummer that had lost his band and was in need of a job and, and still not sober yet, so I don't forget. Like, I'm defined by what I do, and, um, and, I, and I didn't have a gig, so I needed a gig to feel better about myself. And I also... But but by the same token, I was like, oh god, this is such weird circumstances. It's so sad and horrible. So carried that all of that sort of stuff, all of those feelings into that first show. And by the end of the first song, they'd all gone because um, you lot just went mental, just went absolutely nuts. Like I said, you know, drinks in the air, first song, and it just kicked off and uh, and was amazing. And for the next eight years. I recorded three records uh, with him and toured extensively around Europe and Japan and and, uh, and the UK and uh, had an amazing time. You know, another amazing songwriter, really. You know, Grant's such a prolific writer. He, he, yeah. he pretty much writes a song a day. 
Uh, yeah. you, there isn't many days go past where he doesn't pick his guitar up and write a song. Yeah, it's I quite, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing from that point of view, really. Follow him on Instagram. He's always just knocking out the song. You're like, where'd that yeah. come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Absolutely um, brilliant. So it's, you know, it was um, <clears throat> it was it was you know different again, but amazing. It's lovely for us because like all three bands you've been in, um, we we we're fans of them all, and that's that's a that's you know. I know there were other bands, but I didn't know of those bands. But the three highlights for me personally, and and I know with Shane. Um, at some point in our musical journey, they it's, it's as Bruce said, they almost inspire and then yeah. they, they get another band to kind of move on and create another story and then inspire someone else. Um, yeah. And that's what it's done and it's been beautiful. Is there... Right. I've, we've heard off two Little Angels, obviously, that there is talk of a reunion. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they're always talking about a reunion. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it'll be my turn when Shane did the last one. Toby, Toby kind of broke it exclusively. Shane, Shane confirmed it with with Bruce, as you've just said. Then, well, there's always talk of a reunion, which is well. <laughs> um, I'll be I'll be cheeky into a double double one. Is there plans with Skunk and Nancy, obviously moving forward as well? Oh yeah, um, you had tours. There's a lot of people putting up that they had tours and stuff. So you know, is that the plan? Like obviously, when we get to the new normal, Skunk and Nancy, and maybe a little little angels reunion. <laughs> well, definitely, um, we'll be we'll be doing the Skunk tour that we were postponed from uh, last winter, um, October, November, December, just gone. Um, obviously, that was moved to the summer then. It's now going to be 2022 for obvious reasons. Um, so that, uh, you know, and there'll be more music and there'll be new music and we'll, we'll just keep going, I think, you know, in terms of skunk. But um, and, that, and that's the right thing, you know, we need to, we didn't look after it the first time and now we do, you know, we don't tour as intensively and we take a lot more time to do things that, that we want to do and that we enjoy doing. Um and you know we've we sort of worked hard to get the band to a place where we can afford to do that. So um, it's uh, it's it's not about you know being the biggest band in the world anymore as uh, like it is when you first start. You know, and you get in that band, you go right, we're going to conquer the world. You know, it's a different thing. But you know, I'm, I'm I was fifty last year, so of course it's going to be different. You know, <laughs> you know, um, but. Um, uh, Oh, what was the question? <laughs> See, that's a, that's a fifty-year-old brain. That is. <laughs> wow! And, and little angels, you'll you'll be looking forward to meeting. Up oh, sorry, again. yeah. So, and and in terms of reun- reunion, um, uh, I'll get my Zimmer frame out in a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, God, I always love to play with those guys. You know, um, Bruce is one of my favorite guitarists. Yeah, it's just it's that family thing, you know. And I've had three families now, three musical families, and um, yeah. all different, all different, all different dynamics, different personalities, but all still family, you know, uh, because you go through so much together. So of course, if to- I mean, I'm doing a, I'm recording a track for Toby in a couple of weeks, um, something that he's doing f- for a for a game, I think. Um, which is lovely, you know, just for, for him to be able to call me up and go, you know, do you want to play some drums for me? I'm like, yeah, I'll always do that because they'll always be my brothers and sister, 
you know, uh, and that that'll never change. So if I, I'd love to do some more Little Angel stuff, I'd love to do I'd love to do more feeder stuff. You know, that's probably more problematic, probably probably more difficult because they got you know Jeff, who's who's amazing and such a lovely guy. Um, but I wouldn't say no to that either. You know, yeah. um, I'd say no to a lot of other stuff, but those the the three my three families, my three music families. Uh, I'll always have time for them. Incredible. Well, Mark, I, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight, buddy. Um, it, it's been incredible listening to your story. What a life you've lived, what a life you live in. Thank you so much for your honesty, bro, because, you know, really amazing. I can see how many people have um, respected your your life, dude. Um, and thank the, the, you so There's comments. Thank you so much for all the comments. It's been absolutely uh, uh, brilliant to see. Um, so many people engaging and just loving loving the bands and loving the, the chat and the music and all of that so thanks for having me guys you know good luck good luck with your you know your journey and and what you're doing because you're doing such a great job so keep it up i know it's hard work and doing all the you know the other stuff the beers and that but it'll pay off it will you just keep at it it'll pay off thank you so much mark take care brother we'll hopefully see you on the road yeah i hope so Take Thank it easy. You. Thank, Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. Cheers, Mark. All the best. Lots of love, guys. See you later. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da!